0: Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OSPOD is for you. Episode 75 Signs of Life This is an important episode. This is an episode for Baby Loss Awareness Week. I can hardly believe that it's come round once again. Once a year, Baby Loss Awareness Week is held to try and increase understanding of baby loss, break down the taboos that surround it and allow these stories to have a voice, these babies to be remembered and acknowledged. It's a very sensitive and emotional topic. It's hard to talk about babies dying at any point in pregnancy. It's something we all shy away from. We like to think it doesn't happen. Maybe you've thought twice about whether you'd listen to this episode because it tells a story you're reluctant to hear. It's uncomfortable. You might even now be thinking about pressing the stop button. And I don't blame you. I'm aware that this episode will be difficult listening. For some, it may act as a trigger for past traumas and for that I apologise. If you're pregnant at the moment this may not be the time to listen. It may be better to listen at a later date, an episode perhaps to come back to in the future. Listen only when and if you feel ready and able. Maybe listen with someone else for support or leave it for another day. This year, for Baby Loss Awareness Week, I've chosen to discuss signs of life. This is in part because new guidance has been released in the last year to try and standardise care for extremely preterm babies. Before I continue, I'd like to reassure you that only 5% of babies born in the UK are classified as extremely preterm, that is less than 28 weeks. Those that are at the limits of viability, traditionally we've considered 24 weeks the threshold at which a baby can survive outside the womb, and then only in very small numbers and with a significant impact on long term health. In recent years, both in this country and in other countries, we've seen a slight rise in babies surviving birth at earlier stages of pregnancy. And now 0.15% of live births are before 24 weeks. That's tiny numbers, but they're important numbers. And this has meant us revisiting our assumptions about which babies can and cannot survive and how we might treat them. It may seem strange to need guidance about signs of life. It may seem obvious. Surely a baby is either alive or dead. There can't be any confusion. I wish that was the case. Actually, it can be very confusing, and this can lead to enormous difficulties. Not only will it mean that a baby in one hospital might be classified as a live birth and at another hospital the same baby be classified as a stillbirth for which there are very different legal implications but it also makes a big difference to what happens next. Whether or not a baby's death needs to be referred to the coroner and therefore whether or not the coroner will need to mandate a post-mortem for which they do not need the parent's consent and whether or not a coroner's inquest needs to be held. It also has huge implications for certification. If a baby is stillborn and has no signs of life, it receives a stillbirth certificate. If a baby is live born at whatever gestation, however many numbers of weeks of pregnancy, it will need to be certified with a birth certificate and then a death certificate. These inconsistencies can not only increase distress of parents in terms of the recognition of what's happened to them and their family and their baby, but can mean very different outcomes. For them in the subsequent weeks and how their baby is or isn't recognised as a person. The inconsistencies are also important when you look at trying to improve outcomes for babies and trying to look at perinatal mortality across different areas of the country. For some time, embrace the national reporting structure for stillbirths and neonatal deaths did not count births before 24 weeks at all. These babies were overlooked, not classified. And if we overlook these babies, we then miss what we could be doing to prolong pregnancy and therefore improve their chances of survival. And we will miss perhaps areas that we could research into that could enable parents who've experienced these losses to have a very different outcome in the future. So standards of classification are very important. The guidance for signs of life are very useful and they've been written carefully to mirror the guidance for neonatal management of extreme preterm birth. So one of the conversations that needs to be had right at the beginning is what are this baby's chances of survival depending on how many weeks it is and what sort of weight it is and whether it has any abnormalities congenitally. This helps us decide with Parents, whether it's appropriate to actively pull out all the stops and do all the resuscitation that we absolutely can if the baby is born alive, or whether actually it isn't in that baby's best interests to do so, and whether therefore comfort care, wrapping the baby and giving the baby to the parents, may actually be more sensible plan. When we're having these conversations, we need to discuss with parents realistically, what are those outcomes at these very, very early stages of pregnancy. The new British paediatric and neonatal guidance for babies born at the extremes of viability demonstrate that some babies will survive as early as 22 weeks they've produced a very useful infographic, which can be helped to counsel parents. The problem is that although this means there is now some hope at babies born at 22 weeks, you have to take the statistics in the context that many of these babies will die during birth. So when you look at the infographic, it talks about the outcome for babies born alive between 22 and 26 weeks gestation. So if you're born alive at 22 weeks, seven in 10 babies will die. Three in 10 babies will survive. One in three of those babies will have a severe disability. Two out of those three will not. So if you're born at 22 weeks and you're alive at birth, you have a 2 out of 10 chance of surviving without severe disability. Not great odds, but not disastrous odds either. Until you take into consideration the facts that around 80% of babies born at 22 weeks will not be born alive. Whatever has triggered the preterm birth or the birth itself may cause the baby to die in the process. So even if a woman goes into labour with a live baby at 22 weeks, her baby may not be born alive. It's not long since when I made phone calls to neonatal units about even 23-week babies. They were talking to me about why was I suggesting that this baby could make it into a neonatal cot? Was it not too early to consider an inutray transfer, a transfer in the womb to try and make sure the baby got the best, highest level of care possible to maximise its chances of survival. And now, a couple of years on, we're pushing the boundaries and talking about even 22 weeks. The new signs of life guidance does suggest that 22 weeks really is our limit. It seems like before 22 weeks, even in hospital, it just isn't going to be possible for the baby to survive. Let's come back for a moment to signs of life. What are signs of life? One of the first things we learn when we're doctors is how to certify death and how to check for signs of life. And In an adult, you're listening to the heart rate, you're listening to breathing, and you're looking at the pupils. And when someone dies, their pupils become fixed and dilated. You can hear a heartbeat through your stethoscope and you can hear breathing through your stethoscope. When you're looking at a baby... A baby is born and the baby may have some fleeting reflex activity. So if you look at the new guidance on signs of life, live birth is determined by one or more persistent visible signs of life. So an easily visible heartbeat, definite movement of the arms and legs, breathing, crying or gasping and visible cord pulsation. One of those must be present and one of those must be present for more than a minute. Because fleeting reflex activity, including transient gasps or brief visible pulsation of the chest or brief twitches of muscle, Only in the first minute after birth, they've decided does not warrant classification as a sign of life. And I think that that is a very helpful demarcation as a doctor or a midwife when you're already dealing with a very, very difficult situation to have clarity about what you should or shouldn't classify as a live birth. Whatever you do, these parents are in an impossible situation and whatever you do, you can't make it better for them. But you can make it a whole lot worse if you have confusion about was the baby born alive or not. If you have perhaps disagreement between different members of staff, perhaps between a midwife and an obstetrician. And as I've mentioned earlier, there are big repercussions in terms of certification. For some parents, they may want to have a neonatal death and a birth certificate and a death certificate, but that isn't true for all parents. There's an excellent statement by the charity Sands, the Stillbirth and Neonatal Death, Death Association, dated 2014, which details the changes in legislation that they supported to change UK law in 1992 around the definition of stillbirth. This moved the definition of stillbirth from being after 28 weeks to after 24 completed weeks of pregnancy. In the document, they describe a wide range of different opinions from parents and professionals on what is the best way to acknowledge and record pregnancy and baby loss, And it's very clear that for some parents, having certification, recognition and acknowledgement of their baby is the best outcome. Whereas for other parents, this compounds their grief. The key point is there's no one size fits all. As many of the topics I talk about, individualised care is critical and even more important in this extremely distressing situation. Some of the repercussions of declaring a live birth may be very welcome. A coroner's post mortem and inquest may give the parents some answers. These days there are also child death panels and then we as a hospital are also reporting to HSIB, Healthcare Safety Investigation Bureau, and completing the perinatal mortality tool from Embrace. If the baby is born sleeping or stillborn, then The parents still will be able to have an HSIB investigation. We will still complete our perinatal mortality tool. There still will be learning. But the parents will have a choice about whether or not they want to have a postmortem. They will be asked for their consent in a very detailed series of questions. They will potentially have more control Over what happens next. And I think the critical thing is there's no right or wrong, really. But I definitely welcome the clarity that the new guidance gives so that we're at least trying to give parents a consistent standard of care. So, what is my zesty bit? My zesty bit if you're a professional, is go away and read the new guidance, both in terms of the signs of life guidance. There's a really nice visual summary, which I've attached in the program notes, and also read the BAPM outcome of birth infogra- infographic about extreme preterm birth. And know that both of these things come in conjunction with the National Bereavement Care Pathway for Pregnancy and Baby Loss. Just before lockdown in 2020, the last ever live Who's Shoes workshop that I did was actually to try and look at the National Care Bereavement Pathway with Sands, with Ipswich and Colchester hospitals and look at how they were caring for bereaved parents. Maybe your trust is already implementing it, but if not, go away and have a little look at that too. If you're a parent and you're listening to this, it's difficult to know what to say. I hope that you're never in this position and that no one in your family is either. However, if you are, know that your voices are heard and that only by being courageous and giving us feedback, however difficult it may be and however upsetting your experience was, that we can improve things for other people in this sort of situation. Only by many, many parents feeding in to this guidance has this signs of life guidance been produced. Only with feedback can we modify and improve what we're doing. And it's through that feedback and dedication of many parents who've experienced baby loss that the National Bereavement Care Pathway and the signs of life guidance have been able to be developed. I'm going to finish today with a poem written by Jill Phillips, part of our Whose Shoes maternity card set. Our baby. My daughter lost her baby. No words can describe the pain but by making things easy, the trauma was around losing the baby and not bureaucracy. The midwives were trained in bereavement. They knew exactly what to say and when not to say anything. The memories box, good information, knowing what happens next and where to go for support these things made a difference. Simple things, maybe real help to remember our baby. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Obspod. Feel free to contact me on Twitter at FW Maternity or at the Obspod to ask me questions, give me topics for future episodes, or let me know what you think. It's absolutely fantastic when you get in touch. I really enjoy reading your comments. As usual, I've tried to include in the programme notes some extra reading about this particular topic, both for professionals working in maternity care and for pregnant women using services. I'd like to reassure you that although I'm talking about my experiences working in maternity care, I take confidentiality very seriously and do not give any personal information about any of my patients. If you've enjoyed listening, I'd love you to recommend the ObsPod to friends or colleagues and please do leave me a review on whichever podcast directory you find my episodes. Many thanks for listening.